0: Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to Osh's big anniversary sale celebration May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at Osh.com.
1: Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing,
2: From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. A coffee shop can do more than make a neighborhood. It can define your whole experience of a city. Berkeley, for example, has had some legendary coffee shops like Cafe Med which graphic novelist Brianna Lowenson recently eulogized in a comic on kqed.org. She joins us along with Luke Sai and a couple of cafe owners for this latest edition of All You Can Eat where we team up with the KQED food team to cover our Bay Area food cultures. We'll talk about what makes a great cafe, whether they're on the decline, and we'll hear about your favorite coffee shops and what makes them your spot in the city. That's all coming up next. Right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. And of course, this is also All You Can Eat, our bi monthly look at the Bay Area's wildly diverse food cultures. We do this in partnership with the food team here at the station. And as always, I'm joined by Luke Tsai, KQED's food editor. Welcome, Luke. Thanks so much, Alexis. And today we're talking about the Bay Area's coffee houses, its cafes, its coffee shops. We're joined by Brianna Lowenson, author of a remarkable comic on KQED.org. Please don't forget me, cafes we have lost on some of the important shuttered spots in the East Bay. Welcome, Brianna.
3: Oh, hey, thanks so much for having me. I just
2: want to hear to start off, like your memories of some of these Bay Area coffee shops. Like, give me, give me like the first memory uh, of a coffee shop.
3: So, um, probably my first memory of going to a cafe was at um, Cafe Mediterranean, um, which uh, was just called the Med Mm -hmm. um, on Telegraph Avenue, which was just called the Ave. Uh, My father grew up here. He was raised in Berkeley um, and he grew up being a bad kid on uh, Telegraph Avenue and continued that. Uh, tradition. So we would uh, <laughs> spend a lot of time wasting our time at the Med. Um, I think my strongest memories was their extensive collection of Italian sodas. So as a little kid... Uh, what was your order? I, oh, I'd switch it up for sure. But um, lime was a big choice. It'd go orange... I'd branch out sometimes maybe a raspberry, but there was a lot that just looked like I don't even know what that word is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely like uh, an image I have of this kind of coffee shop where they have those the bottles of the different syrups like lined up behind there. Can you imagine that in like a blue bottle?
3: Yeah, right? Like rainbowy and colorful <laughs> and <Yeah>. disorganized. <laughs> and it like
2: italianate in the way that like a suburban development is italianate, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. They would uh they would be all um colorful hues that are calming.
2: Yeah. So in your comic, one of the ways like the the memories that you have for this place are actually a bit like almost like borrowed memories of your father's as well. It's like right. memories to the second power or something.
3: Yeah, so um I lost both my parents a few years ago. And so I think about them a lot. And I think a lot about memory. Um, and um, I I wrote a book about my my mom, a, a graphic novel. And so I've been thinking more about my dad and trying to pay a little tribute to that guy. And um, I think that this place with Telegraph Avenue is just really special to him. Um, we, you know, he, he really grew up there and spent his time there. And I thought that that would be a nice way to honor it. He was a poet, so he did. He was part of um, poetry readings there. He ran an underground press um, and would distribute the publication. He worked for the Berkeley Barb for anyone mm-hmm. out there who used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was the Dope Prophet, which was an anonymous uh, writer who wrote about drug sales. <laughs> um, and he met his first wife there, and um, they just uh, just really wanted to kind of. Celebrate all the stuff that he really kept to himself and didn't talk about that much, and so it was fun to try to like get inside his head and think of what what he would have been thinking about in those quiet quiet Saturdays when we weren't talking and just in, just having our drinks.
2: Yeah, just sipping your Italian soda. What do you think it was about the Med as a space or a shop that kind of allowed it to to play that role in your life and in his life?
3: I think it was really big. It had an upstairs and a downstairs. Um, It sometimes offered food in the back. Um, And it was, uh, it opened, I think, in the 50s. I should know that because it's in my comic. Um, But uh, it was a place, you know, when Berkeley was going through a lot of turmoil where, you know, people from a lot of different sides of of the revolution could get together Mm -hmm. and be together and talk about their ideas. And so I think that it it almost felt like a clubhouse. Um, and then I think it just retained that feeling.
2: Yeah. You also had your own spot too, though, right, with your high school friends, another sort of East Bay coffee shop cafe.
3: Yeah, we actually had a few. I focused on Okokule because that one felt um, – that was a really rough closure uh, for the pandemic, um, it felt very big. Like the buildings torn down, um, so Cocolee was definitely one you could get. Um, if you only had a dollar fifty, you could get a drip coffee, or if you somehow ended up with money, you could buy delicious food, um, and you could just sit in the back for forever. Um, So that was really fun. We also spent a lot of time at um, Cafe Roma on College Avenue and just desserts on Solano was a real big uh, (laughs) loitering spot for us.
2: This made me extremely jealous because having grown up uh, in the exurbs, uh, Denny's served every single one of those. (laughs) uh, (laughs) There was no no reminiscing. There's no pretending you were in a cool place. You were at Denny's, but it it still did the thing.
3: It has its merits.
2: Yeah. Um, Luke, I, you know, Brianna's comic did. Uh, uh, people were really into it. Can you tell us a little bit about the response that you got and kind of like w- why were people or how were people reacting to it?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we uh, you know, I was so happy to publish um, Brianna's comic um, and we sort of, you know, shared the whole thing um, on Instagram, you know, so people could just read it, um, you know, while they're browsing their feeds. Um, and... Uh, I think there was just such a nostalgic response, you know, because I think, um, you know, Brianna has her uh, coffee shops. And I think all, all all of those places are beloved places um, in the East Bay. And so if you grew up in Berkeley or Oakland, um, or if you went to college, you know, at UC Berkeley, um, those were probably also your places, you know. Um, but even if they weren't, I think that so many of us have coffee shops that are like that.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, and I think a lot of what Brianna's um, comic is about is sort of like the way that these different coffee shops help form her sense of herself, you know, as as a young person um, and as a young adult, um, sort of it was like a place where you could maybe try on different identities. Um, you could explore um, different interests and hobbies like for her it was drawing um, but for other people it might have been something different Um, and I think that aspect of Mm. the coffee shop you know not so much the food or the drink you know it wasn't it wasn't a lot of people necessarily saying like oh my gosh you know like those lattes were so amazing, <laughs> you know, but it was more about the space. can testify.
2: It- I went to the med. It was you were not saying that. <laughs> hey, hey, hey.
4: But, but it was it was the people that you went with, you know, and the memories that you had, you know, and I think, you know, similar to you, I, I didn't I wasn't a coffee person growing up you know, and I I didn't like as a as a very young adult, I didn't really go to coffee houses. You know, so for me, you, you talked about Denny's. <laughs> um, I was growing up in suburban New Jersey. And I think for me that what served that function was like diners, mm. you know, and so I remember when I was in college, there was a place, I think, uh, which I think is still there called the Fountain Blue Diner, you know, so if you went to Rutgers um, as an undergrad you you may also you know (laughs) shout out to Fountain Blue Diner Um, but but I would roll in there with my friends you know at like 10 o'clock on a Thursday night and we would come in like 20 um, people deep and even though it wasn't like an Asian place at all um, I would come in with like 20 (laughs) Asian-American. <laughs>
6: it was then. Yeah, kids.
4: right. yeah, And and it was like, so for me, it was like it played a big formative role in like my burgeoning mm-hmm. kind of sense of myself um, as a part of that community. Um, totally. So yeah, so I think those aspects of it really resonated with people. And so you had a lot of people writing in talking about their own memories. Yeah. We would love to hear from
2: you on this topic. I mean, this kind of coffee shop that we're talking about, this kind of cafe that we're talking about, what was that spot? For you. Bonus points if it's here in the Bay Area because other people may know it. The number is 866 733 6786, that cafe or coffee shop that helped you form or is helping you form now um, your identity. The number is 866 733 6786. The email is forum at org. Twitter, Instagram, threads, we're kqed forum. A little later in the show, we're going to talk with. Um, cafe owners who, you know, and, and cafe folks who are trying to build this sort of, um, community. But Brianna, one thing that I I wanted to ask you about was, you know, it feels like kind of like the coffee part sort of dominates in the coffee house realm, you know, like now the the coffee is amazing, but maybe the seating is sort of indicates to you, Hey, maybe don't stay a while,
3: you know, (laughs) stay 20 minutes. Yeah. Maybe move on down (laughs) the road, you know? Yeah. I think, um, I remember uh, Gaylord's really self, uh, dealt with that with um, how many outlets to have because um, outlets became a bigger thing later because we all had um, digital devices so in order to stay for more than an, you know the battery life of your laptop. So I think at some point um, he put outlets everywhere and then had to take them out because they were they were making people stay too long. Wow.
2: And Luke, what do you think? Like, I I mean, there's so much good coffee, this sort of third wave coffee explosion that happened over the last 20 years. But do you think that sort of pushed out the other uses of a coffee shop?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, I think absolutely there's an argument to be made um, that it did, you know, and and I think you're right. Like, there's so much good about the changes that we've seen in the coffee scene, you know? So like, I don't, want to necessarily romanticize too much the days where like coffee was like a (laughs) dollar and you could get free refills and like obviously those models are built on exploitation of like someone you know multiple someones (laughs) Um, but you know I do think as coffee has become this like very artisanal experience where it's almost like you're going into a fancy wine shop or, or like wine bar and you're having tasting notes. (laughs) Um, and, 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 and like, I, I actually appreciate all of that, you know, like, that's how I sort of learned to, to love coffee. Um, but at the same time, not everyone is looking for that experience. Um, and again, if you build your business around that model, um, then you have to, construct your space a certain way and you have to turn over a certain number of tables and um, you can't necessarily survive as a business if you have people sitting there for eight hours.
2: <laughs> uh, right,
4: right. Not, not Especially
2: buying. a bunch of teenagers um, <laughs> spending $2 yeah, as sure they we draw were, comics. We are really Brian. quiet. We yeah.
3: definitely didn't disrupt other people's time.
4: Yeah. So I, I'm really interested in hearing from some of yeah. these coffee shop owners who come on later, just in terms of thinking about how they're able to strike a balance between those, competing interests yeah we're
2: talking about bay area cafes some local favorites how you make it a place that really you know becomes a part of who you are this part of our series all you can eat we're joined by luke sai food editor for kqed arts and brianna lowenson graphic novelist high school art teacher author of please don't forget me cafes we have lost a comic about now shuttered cafes in the east bay which you can check out um, we are going to take your calls. Number eight six six seven three three six seven eight six, 866-733-6786. And the email is forum at org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned.
1: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Bay Area Cafes. This show is inspired by Brianna Lowenson's amazing comic, Please Don't Forget Me, Cafes We Have Lost. You can check it out at KQED. Also joined by Luke Sai, of course, because this is all you can eat. He's the food editor at KQED. And I want to bring in our first uh, caller. Let's go to uh, Becca in Berkeley. Welcome.
7: Hi there. This is so sweet. I just was having some flashbacks. So I grew up in Berkeley. I currently actually still live here after some time away. And our spot when we were in high school was Ococole on University Avenue near Milvia. And um, it was just one of the special places. Unfortunately, it closed in the last couple of years around the pandemic, which was very sad. But we used to go there um, because it was open till midnight. You could get food. You could get coffee. They had the best hot chocolate. I miss it desperately. And it was just such a wonderful place. It was kind of all of us who were kind of a little odd and creative. and <laughs> A lot of zine makers. Is ours. that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the cool things about it was always Friday night down the street at the old Berkeley Square. They used to have an under 18 dance night. And so we'd all gather at Okokule and hang out and connect and then go there. And then later on, you know, it was where we'd gather to figure out where the house party was up in Berkeley Hills. Usually there wasn't one. (laughs) uh, Shout out to to Okokule and miss it. And thanks for having the show. Yeah, Becca, thank you so much. If you want
2: a good cry, you should see the panels in Brianna's uh, comic that are dedicated to Okokule. I'm sure that... Brianna, I mean... The hot chocolate? Was it as good
4: as she
3: Yeah. Um, the hot chocolate made you feel like a king or queen. You, it was served in like a fancy cup that was to, completely unnecessary for hot chocolate. It had like a handle. You felt like a gauntlet. And then the whipped cream was that real whipped cream. It was so yeah, good. That's
2: perfect. Um, I want to bring in Creighton Davis, co-founder of Kin Folks uh, Cafe in Oakland. Welcome, Creighton. Thank you. Good morning. So, you know, we're hearing these stories about how people sort of made these cafes their own. And I wonder how that intersects with what you're trying to do, like trying to build this experience of of community. What do you do to try and encourage that?
6: Well, I think it begins with just authenticity and a desire to really intentionally create a space where people feel comfortable. People walk in through the door and can exhale And I think when you think about the history of uh, coffee shops um, across the country, particularly the history as it relates to black Americans, um, coffee shops have been those areas and those spaces that have historically been exclusionary or have been spaces that have um, triggered um, nonviolent protests, sit-ins. So one of the first 1st uh, sit-ins occurred in a coffee shop in Chicago in 1943, I believe. Um, and that was the, uh, that kind of spurred um, or was a model for, you know, sit-ins later on. And when we think about, um, also on the other side of the coin, um, how it is exclusionary today. Where we think about, you know, back in Philadelphia um, a few years ago, mm-hmm. where two Black Americans were um, were arrested in a coffee shop. You know, we are constantly faced with spaces that, um, you know, are restrictive or exclusionary. So the intention behind Kim Folks is the minute you walk in. Um, you are welcome. And the the space invites you through the art, through the furniture, through the colors. um, It creates a welcoming atmosphere.
2: I mean, is there any tension between trying to kind of engineer that and what just kind of has to happen? You know, people just have to just kind of do what they're going to do. And then that, Mm -hmm. do you find any tension between trying to control what people do in your space and just kind
6: of letting them do whatever? Oh, that's it's it's a great question, because I think at the end of the day, you know, our space is not prescriptive. Um, it is a coffee shop. It's a wine bar. It's a community activation space. Um, so, you know, we want people to people to be able to come in and feel like they can be various versions of themselves, somebody that's coming down to do work um, in the morning or coming out to have a drink in the evening. Um, but of course, you know, there is tension with uh, the challenges that we have in downtown Oakland of um, folks that are coming in that are dealing with um, mental health challenges and how that can create um, risk to um, themselves, mm-hmm. but also to others in the, um, in the shop. So we're constantly trying to balance um, the safety and well-being and comfort of uh, folks in our community as a whole, as well as you know um, the safety concerns as well. Yeah, totally. Let's bring in another uh, call. Let's go to uh,
2: Richard in Santa Rosa. Welcome.
8: Hey, thank you for taking our call, Alexis. Yeah, thanks for calling. I have a good story about a really old internet cafe. If you can even An remember. An internet it cafe. Ah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back in, the, back in the early 90s, there was a place called Coffee Net, and it was on Harrison between 3rd and 4th, right at the corner of uh, Lapu-Lapu and Harrison, and they served coffee and pastries, but they also served computer building classes, networking classes, server classes, and uh, they used to do bulletin boards back there, too, if you can even remember that far back. hmm <laughs> And also, that was the first cafe that I took my then girlfriend, now wife of 30 something years today.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. Richard, that's lovely. Can I, wait, I got to ask a question, though. Um, How good was the coffee on a scale of 1 to 10?
8: Um, the coffee was pretty decent. It was a good dark roast, if I can remember back then. I've become such a coffee snob now that I can't <laughs> recall because I'm so old. But uh, I would love to take yeah, you back
2: and job. have you try that coffee, and you do like the spit take. Like, <laughs> what is this stuff? Yeah, Who burned nice. it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so good, Richard. Thank you so much. That was Coffee Net. Oh man, the the Internet Cafe, Brianna. I mean. I know you were a, a drawer and an artist, but did you also ever spend any time in some?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, I definitely also spent time, you know, when I was in college, we, we would try to find cafes and and uh, write our little essays. We, you know, and some of the work that I do is um, digital. I, my last book I did, um, and the, these, this, these pages that I did about coffee shops, I did on an iPad, Although all these awesome places had closed, so I did not do them from a the cafe, but I would draw digitally at the cafes. Um, I don't think I ever went to the place Richard was talking about, but um, I would like to be transported there now.
2: Yes. I mean, I love that they just told you really what it was Coffee Net. <laughs> you know? It was just, just the creativity. It's in branding, it's what it says on the tin. <laughs> Um, let's uh, let's do uh, another call here. Uh, Tina in San Francisco, welcome.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on. Great show. Thank you. Um, so I have two cafes. Um, one of them is Cafe Flora, and these are both from the '80s. These reminiscences. Um, one's Cafe Flora in the Castro. Like all the queer kids and drag queens would gather there. Um, this was way before Wi-Fi and cell phones. And I remember when the Loma Prieta earthquake happened. We all met there to make sure everybody was okay. Um, and the other one is Cafe Picaro on 16th Street. It still exists, but it's a restaurant now. But it was like a sweet cafe, like um, Cafe La Bohem, which still oh, exists on
2: yeah. Street, Oh, Yeah. Oh, man. I wrote a big chunk of my first book there. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's okay. So you're totally familiar? Yeah, there was just so many amazing people at that cafe, and it's exactly what you just said. There was so many writers, and there was like four bookstores in that area. Most famously, Adobe Bookshop was still on 16th Street.
2: Oh, man. Thank you so much for that. I mean, also, such a good reminder to, um, you know, Compton's Cafeteria. That was a, a coffee shop of a sort of diner, you know, um, you know one of the Uh, famous sites of of queer resistance and uh, around. I mean, kind of amazing and and carrying on that tradition with with Cafe Flora. Thank you so much, Tina. Um, I want to bring in another uh, cafe person. Henri Boulanger is with Red Rock Coffee. Welcome, Henri. Thanks for having me. So I have a question for you. I mean, how you think about, you know, uh, Red Rock Cafe started in 2006, I believe. So it's been there about you know 20 years ago, and you've got events, and you've got art, and you've got the different things that um, people try and bring to a to a modern cafe now. How do you like get people actually talking to each other, <laughs> like actually hanging out, aside from you know just kind of all arriving in the same place?
9: For sure, um, part of it's the space. Um, you know, you put in communal tables instead of a bunch of separate tables. There's little things like that. Um, so just trying to engineer the space a little bit, we're lucky to have a bunch of space down there. This is
2: in Mountain View, by the way, for those who are curious.
9: Yeah, Mountain View. And, um, so it kind of starts with that. It kind of starts with that intentionality of thinking, okay, how can we gently nudge people to get to know one another? Um, another big factor of that is our manager, Jean. She is amazing. And one of the things she's so good at is she'll just walk around and start conversations with folks, or she'll notice two people have a similar shirt on or something. So there's a very human touch to it as well. This uh, very, very active component of talking to people. And you know, it also, it comes from remembering people's names and sort of cultivating this atmosphere of this person's irregular, this person comes in, oh, how is so-and-so actually caring about the people coming in and um, it all starts to add up. And then when the customers start asking each other how their lives are, that's when you really start to see that blossom into something.
2: Do you think there's any tension between sort of the quality of coffee and ingredients and in the food and all that stuff, which, of course, makes the prices go up and the sort of inclusivity of the space that you're trying to create?
9: Definitely. Um, I think coffee can kind of trip into the sort of wine-esque territory of being a little intimidating for people. Mm -hmm. Um, Even being someone who spent as much time in the coffee industry as I have, there are definitely some cafes where I walk in and I'm like, oh, this is a temple, uh, and <laughs> it is very clean. I must be quiet. Yeah. I you take your <laughs> shoes off at the front. <laughs> yeah. Everything I, I touch, I sully. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I like a place that can strike a balance. I, I hope that we have managed to do this. A place that can strike a balance between really respecting the ingredients and making something that's awesome and knowing enough about it that if people are curious, we can talk about it. Um, but before that comes the people, right? Because all of this is in service of human beings and connection and community. But we also have really good coffee and really good stuff. So I want to go. Yeah, um, I mean, it
2: also feels like the floor has come up on coffee
9: too, right? That mm-hmm. definitely helps.
2: Yeah, you can go to a gas station. Well, well maybe not, quite, yeah, but you kind of settle boring. down here. Like <laughs> uh, we have uh, some great comments coming in. I want to uh, read a couple of these. Uh, Rook on Discord writes, just to add some geographical variety here in the Sacramento area, you can find two amazing coffee places, Bad Fish Coffee and Tea and Paws Coffee House. Whenever I'm in the area, I make sure to stop by. And I do think that is one thing. I mean, now almost anywhere you go, like you go out to Stockton, you can find a pretty amazing coffee shop. That's really um, changed relative to, I think, Brianna, like when you were growing up. I mean, Berkeley really was one of the seats. Like you were talking about before the show, there was one pizza. Um, yeah.
3: When I was a little kid, the, you know, the first Pete's was Pete's coffee and it was the only Pete's. And my mom would go in to buy a uh, pound of coffee and the smell of coffee was so disgusting to me that I would sit outside and be like, can you please get me a Madeleine cookie? <laughs> I'll, I promise not to go away with a stranger.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: um, and that was where you got your coffee. You just went to Pete's.
2: Yeah. Um, Matthew writes in to say and, and Luke, this one's coming to you. Um, I was a young gay man staying with my mom on 17th Street when I first went to Cafe Flora on Market Street in San Francisco. I was instantly enchanted by the eclectic bustling of drag queens, poets, hippies, clones, and artistic-looking people living on the dole. In those days, it was normal to talk to everyone at nearby tables and spontaneous chautauquas and narrative art would ensue. I lament how technology has drained the commons such that no one seems to chat with strangers anymore. Are there still... Uh, spaces that are friendly and where people actually talk to strangers. And what I was hoping you could talk about here, Luke, was technology and the pandemic. These are kind of like two two major forces. Um, do you think the ability to just stare at your phone rather than talk to someone um, has had a bigger effect than the sort of pandemic business difficulties?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Um, packed in there but I mean ab- absolutely and I think even this is like pre-pandemic you know I feel like this shift which um these some of the our great coffee shop owners have alluded to like there has been a shift in the past 10 or 15 years right and I was part of that shift like I was introduced to coffee like I got into coffee when I became a freelance. Writer, right? Mm. And all of a sudden, like, if I didn't want to just stay by myself on my couch all day, I had to go out to a coffee shop, right? And what what was I doing when I was at the coffee <laughs> shop? I was sitting on my laptop, along with like a dozen other people who were sitting on their laptops, um, doing work or browsing yeah. the internet or like whatever we were doing um and i think pretending are... to do work while browsing the <laughs> internet yeah yeah and i think i think there there are a lot of coffee shops now where you walk in and that can be another intimidating thing wh- where like you walk in and it is such a sea of you know macbooks um like like the the place is bathed in that like like <laughs> yeah, light yeah, like, you know of, of just the turn MacBook. the lights off and just it's glowing <laughs> apples yeah um and I think that's hard, you know, and I think as a coffee shop, you know, I so appreciate the intentionality um, that these coffee shop owners are talking about bringing into their spots, because I think it is so difficult to strike that balance, because then I think you have a lot of places where I, I completely understandably, there are places who just like don't offer Wi Fi, right, mm-hmm. and don't have any outlets, because they don't want that kind of atmosphere. But it's so hard to do that without coming across as a little bit sanctimonious, you know, especially just because I think this is a reality. Also, you can just mo- tether, modern- you know, you can often <laughs> of tether so it exactly. doesn't stop and, 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 I, and I think this is like a reality of modern life, you know, where, where it's like I, I am often looking for a place where I have, I could, you know, go on Wi-Fi and I could like work for an hour or something yeah. like that. Um, and I think to create a space that can accommodate all of those things without you know skewing too much mm. in one direction is is really like this magical juggling act um that if it's pulled off well um i think can work so beautifully but i think we all know the coffee shops where yeah. you know you walk in and it's it's all technology yeah. or you walk in and it's all you know this like temple to the coffee that Henri was talking about yeah. right creighton um co-founder of
2: Kent, Folks. I imagine this is a struggle for you all because there there are a lot of creative folks that I know who could want to go to kin folks, and I'm sure they want to like be creative on their computer around other people. So, do you put rules in place? Like, how do you do that? And then also, every time there's a rule in a coffee shop like that, like no laptops on this table before two or whatever, I'm like, you're really going to enforce this rule? Then you gotta then that is its own vibe of. So tell me how you guys try and
6: try and make that work. Yeah. So I think, again, it's just, you know, the intentionality of the of the design of the space. You know, we have communal tables. We have tables that are um, side by side with one another. And we find that people come in and they may be uh, focused on trying to knock out some work. And then, you know, they overhear a conversation with somebody next to them and then join in. And then the next thing you know, you've got a whole uh, group of people um, engaged in in talking. So I think, you know, again, not being prescriptive and encouraging um, folks to, you know, one of our um, Our our house rules, if you will, is if there's an open seat at a table, um, grab it. Um, It's not reserved for um, for no one. It's reserved for you. Um, So pull up and grab a seat and meet somebody new. Yeah.
2: Um, Got some other uh, comments coming in. Run through a few here. Jen over on Discord says my two favorite coffee shops in Oakland are Cole Coffee and Cafe Eight One Seven. Cole is in Rockridge. Has the strongest dark roast that's somewhat close to what I would find in Seattle. Cole feels like a true neighborhood coffee shop. Something about the mix of people that's always hanging out there uh, makes me think that Cole is a place that represents an older version of Oakland. I think I actually would agree with that.
3: Yeah, Cole used to be Royal Coffee, um, so we would go there in high school, and then changed to Cole. Um, they also have like two parts. So they have like a the bigger part. You can get like food at, and they'll hand brew you a drip coffee to just your liking. (laughs) And and then there's a smaller section where you can buy beans with some pre-brewed coffee, so it kind of can fit a bunch of different needs.
2: Yeah. My favorite story about that place is that there was once a, a fight between the East Bay rats outside of, Ooh. which is, that is an older version of Oakland. It's very funny. Uh, we're talking about the Bay Area cafe scene. We're joined by Brianna Lowenson, graphic novelist, high school art teacher, author of Please Don't Forget Me, Cafes We Have Lost. Also joined by Luke Sai, as always, because this is All You Can Eat, our series on the Bay Area food cultures. Joined by Creighton Davis, co founder of Kin Folks, and Henri Boulanger who's with Red Rock Coffee. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're going to take more of your calls when we get back from the break. Stay tuned.
1: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is your latest edition of All You Can Eat with Luke Tsai, who's our food editor here at KQED. We're also joined by Brianna Lowenson, who's a graphic novelist. She made an amazing comic for KQED called Please Don't Forget Me, Cafes We Have Lost, I feel like OkcaCole is really connecting with a lot of
3: coming in hot uh, Bay Area
2: people <laughs> coming in hot. Yeah. We're also joined by a couple of cafe folks. Creighton Davis is a co-founder of Kin Folks and Henri Boulanger is barista trainer at Red Rock Coffee. We're going to take some more of your calls. might be hard to get to everyone So you might want to try the email at forum at kqed.org. You can always try Twitter, you can try Instagram, you can try threads. Um, let's get to Kathy in uh, Nice, California? Or is it Nice, California?
5: <laughs> oh, either way. It's Nice and Nice. <laughs> okay,
2: fair enough. Um, Hello? Yeah, what's your story, Kathy?
5: Well, I ran away from Michigan and ended up on the streets of Berkeley. Mm.
3: All right. And
5: uh, went to the I did, and I know all of the, all of the cafes in Berkeley because that's what kept me warm for the first winter. I was there until I joined the Runaway Center. But I hung out at a cafe that is no more called Hard Castle. Hmm. And I was... I knew a little bit... And that's where all the chess masters and all of the major bridge players came. I learned how to play chess there and had ambitions, I think, from 10th grade on, uh, being the first international woman grand champion in chess. And I actually got mentored by the people in that cafe to go into the International Chess Federation. I even got to play... Um, Fisher once had a exposition game at the Bobby you know, Fisher, the San Francisco Veterans Memorial. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he was he was cool. I think it was because I was cute that he let me be one of the last <laughs> ten to get out. It was an exposition game where he um he played three hundred people at the same time. Wow. Yeah, but uh, it was that cafe and all the other cafes I went to that I mean for a 15-, 16-year-old on the streets, that kept me out of drugs, actually. I never did like the med anyway, but taught me how to play chess real well. Yeah. And uh, I was, you know, I made it all the way to expert from the mentoring I got and the convincing that was there. And I was gone my way to a woman named, uh let's say a Russian name, Sophia, yeah, I want to kill the bitch. That's the only way I remember her. Yeah. Um, beat me out of it.
2: Oh, man. Kathy, what a yeah that
5: had a big issue.
2: Yeah, Kathy, what a oh. um, fascinating story just about like you know kind of the the multiple kinds of training and socialization that you can get at these places.
3: Yeah, um, I, a lot of things that this uh, working on this piece made me think about was um, how there used to be a lot more spaces that were available to young people that were you didn't need a lot of money. I didn't come. Gr- in the suburbs, but I've heard about these things called malls So, (laughs) (laughs) um, where a lot of my friends who did grow up in the burbs. uh, There's a movie,
2: Mall Rats. It was just like that. Don't worry. I
3: did not know that was a real thing. (laughs) I watched that movie and was like, look at this fantasy land. Um, So places like cafes or bowling alleys when they were not fancy, they were real cheap. Um, There was just a lot of places to go for kids to try to not get into trouble. Like We still did, but like... um, I'm just sad that there seem to be fewer and fewer places like that for a teenager to go spend a couple bucks and kind of have some time. Like the movie theaters used to be real cheap. There was like eight movie theaters in downtown Berkeley. Mm. Um, mm. So that's a loss, I think. Just to-
2: I mean, Creighton, how much of that is just like the business is harder now? I mean, it's just the rents are expensive. And so therefore that means you just you need to be making money from every square foot
6: rather than just being like, all
2: right, everyone, come on in, you know.
6: <laughs> I mean, it's a hard business. I mean, we've been around for seven months now. And I mean, I don't think many people know this, but, um, you know, we took over um, a space that was occupied by a great coffee shop called Tertulia. And they closed down uh, prior to the pandemic. And the space laid vacant for a year and a half. And, you know, once we came in, you know, our concept was actually just Supposed to be a pop up because you know we wanted to fill the space, fill the um, the area, provide a a a gathering spot for folks. Um, But it's a hard business because you know rents are high, insurance, PG and E, and not to mention you know the impact of. Uh, public safety in downtown Oakland, Mm -hmm. which has deterred people uh, to come because they're worried about, you know, getting their car broken into or the window smashed or uh, Mm -hmm. much worse. So there are a lot of headwinds that, um, you know, shops and um, businesses face all throughout, but coffee in particular, because it's also a um, saturated market. Yeah.
2: Let's uh, bring in uh, Mark in Fremont. Welcome.
4: Uh, Hi. Uh, Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, us. I,
4: have a, I have a bunch of recommendations, but I guess the two that kind of come to mind right now uh, are Soul Grind Soul Grind Coffee Roasters in Pacifica. Mm. There's a beautiful coffee shop right on the beach, uh, the Linnemar Beach. They've got, and it's really nice to to just kind of wake up and just have a nice have a nice espresso and listen to the waves while you, while you enjoy your coffee. And the other one is uh, Cafe Four in Castro Valley. It's just it's a in the lobby of this uh, church and so you have this one of the things that i find very frustrating about going to coffee shop is finding parking a, a particularly a uh, particularly hot place and so cafe four you get beautiful well one there's parking everywhere there's you know, the space the is massive there's floor to ceiling uh windows so a lot of natural lighting they sell great coffee so, yeah beautiful yeah. location
2: Um, Hey, thanks so much for that, um, Mark. Uh, That was Soul Grinds and Pacifica and Cafe Four in in Castro Valley. You know, Luke, one of the things I was going to ask you was the extent, you know, when I look around the coffee shops, you know, in my commute and in my neighborhood, one of the things that I see that I think is a little bit counterintuitive is it feels like the spots where people are really just hanging out in the way that we're describing are now like Pete's and Starbucks, (laughs) you know, like they're, they're, the they're, the chain spots have now become kind of the, um, the spots where people feel where, where a broader set of people feel comfortable.
4: Yeah, I think, I think that's true. And so I think, you know, this is that tension that we've been talking about, right. Where as the quality of the coffee goes up, um, you're definitely, um, there's so much good that comes out of it, you know, in terms of, um, you know, providing a fairer, um, wage to to the farmers and, and so forth, um, and also to people who appreciate that good coffee, but then, you know, there is going to be a demographic that is not necessarily that interested in that, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so a, P- a pizza or a Starbucks that has a little bit more space um, and is a little bit more casual um, about people hanging out um, can be really inviting. You know, when Brianna was talking about um, earlier, it made me think about sort of places for teenagers to hang out. Um, and I feel like, you know, a lot of that now, I think, is like boba shops, you know, have sort of... Uh, yeah, totally. Coffee shops. Um, and I think it's like, you know, and, and I think boba shops sometimes face the same um, difficulties, too, because they might not also have a lot of square footage. <laughs> but the ones that are a little bit bigger, you know, I see teenagers hanging out there all God, the time. So and right. yeah. You know, they, they, they might be... Um, you know also studying or um you know but they might be on like a little boba date um or they might <laughs> be playing board games or they might just be like hanging out and eating some fried snacks and so i i do think there are other kinds of spaces that are sort of taking up that mantle now um and i do think it it is one of the challenges for a coffee shop to to decide if it wants to also be that kind of space yeah. how 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 does it make itself welcoming to those types of folks
2: Um, Some other comments coming in, Um, there are some uh, eulogies for Gaylord's Cafe in Oakland, Gaylord's Cafe on Piedmont Ave. My young boys would play Pong on their console and I would have my calming cup of iced tea. The boys are now in their 30s. It too has recently closed. Another listener writes, I really miss Gaylord's in Oakland. I used to go there after work and try my hand at coding there. I live in Starbucks in Pete's land. If I can't make it to Oakland or Berkeley for a real coffee shop, East Bay Coffee comes close to satisfying that fix and Jonathan writes I worked at Santa Cruz and Aptos coffee roasting companies as a high schooler in the mid-1990s in addition to the heavy local culture that frequented those two shops there was also an interesting contrast between the morning scene and the evening scene the mornings were more transactional, based with people needing their caffeine fix. But the evenings were where people just hung out and you really got to know your community and people's interesting stories. I always begged to work those evening shifts. Sadly, Aptos Coffee Roasting is no more. But Santa Cruz Roasting remains strong. Henri, how about that? The, the morning versus the night crew. Do you notice that?
9: Oh, yes. Um, so before the pandemic, uh, Red Rock was open much later. Uh, I think weeknights, it was open till 10 p.m. And then weekends, 11 p.m. So when I started working there back in 2013, my schedule made it so that I could only close. So that was the side of the cafe that I saw for a very long time. And it's true. There was was the morning people and there were the night people. And never the twain shall meet. Um, (laughs) I'm convinced most of them were nocturnal. But it was also really cool to see... People meeting up, kind of like we've been saying, there aren't a lot of places for young people, especially to meet up. If you can't go out and drink, uh, there's not a lot of those small spots to sort of go. So this would be a place where people would go on dates. They'd be able Mm -hmm. to uh, meet up with their friends. Uh, We do still run an open mic on Monday nights and seeing the crowd that comes in for that. There are people who just come for the open mic, but they come every single week Mm -hmm. and it's this really thriving thing that happens. But yeah, that... That morning evening uh, shift is very interesting to see and hard to predict, but it's yeah. definitely different clientele.
2: I um. I, it takes a certain kind of person to be drinking coffee at 10 p.m. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I appreciate it. Right. I appreciate it. Uh, not with this job, but in the old days, I could totally do that. Uh, Michael writes, if you were a teenager in Marin in the 80s, you likely hung out at Cafe Trieste in Sausalito or Cafe Nouveau in San Anselmo. And Ed writes, I grew up in the 70s and 80s hanging out with my mom at Cafe Trieste in North Beach. It's the city's oldest coffee house home to the beats and poets since 1956. My favorite thing about... uh about Cafe Trieste's favorite story about it is when I, one of my first jobs, I worked at Wired and we had a copy chief named Tony who lived in North Beach and he got off exactly every day at 3 p.m. and at 3 p.m. he walked from Wired's offices right to Cafe Trieste in North Beach and I think he was there basically until close, you know?
3: Keeping it alive.
2: He was keeping it alive, he was of course working on a novel, like he was there there. Was something I, I'm Cafe Trash still has that place in my heart where I'm just like, oh man, that's where the real, real poets and writers go, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, let's bring in uh, Larry and Berkeley. Welcome.
8: Hey, how you doing? Hey, doing well. Hey, you know, I came to the I came to the East Bay in 1970 to go to California College of Arts and Crafts, mm. <clears throat> and across the street was the Rockridge Tea Tavern, mm. and it was a real small, hole in the wall place. It's not there anymore. Mm. And I had about twenty seats, and I, I hung out there when I was going to college. And um, they were right at the beginning of the, uh, you know, the coffee boom, the coffee cafe,
2: mm-hmm.
8: um, and a place where you could go, <clears throat> hear music, um, and as you know, as it got um, more popular, we expanded into the next building, and I helped run the place, and. I can remember one of the people that used to come into our place. Eddie Money used to come into the place, but there was always this um, kind of a um, started with this coffee war going on with uh, who could make the best lattes. When we first, as a matter of fact, from Cafe Trieste, we bought our first um, espresso, espresso machine. machine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a, it was an old fashioned hand. Not the, one of the modern ones. It was just had a piston, two pistons, and you had to pull the handle down uh, to actually make it the way that they used used to make it. But that's back back in the '70s. We became famous. I created this thing called the Maiden Voyage. There might be people that remember it. There was a place that had um, uh, Maria's Cheesecake, and we had Maria's. Che- I made this dish that became famous. People would come from all over. I don't know if anybody's huh. going to remember this. You know. Back in the seventies, how many? I don't know how many people are are watching, but yeah. uh, it was a piece of Maria's cheesecake with a sliced banana, three scoops of ice cream, and we had a homemade, um, you know. Uh, whipped cream with uh, nuts and a maraschino cherry. <laughs> that on, is uh, intense, Larry. What are you
2: doing to people out there? Uh. <laughs> I don't know. It was quite. Yeah.
8: The, it was quite the stoner stoner event back yeah. then. Um, <laughs> thank Larry, but, thank you so much. It was fun, but listen. Wh- one other one. One other thing is, we used to get our coffee from Grateful, and we used to go over to San Francisco and get our bagels from the House of Bagels. Uh, and it was uh, you know it was the scene. And by the way, one other place that I haven't heard mentioned. For now, if we're going to a cool coffee shop. It's Cafe Layla in Berkeley on San Pablo, and they have a beautiful garden in the back. Oh, nice! And they have and they have music, like the traditional, yeah. you know, old,
0: old, old school coffee shop. Anyway.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Larry, in Berkeley. Uh, I did want to get to this story from Tank, who writes, My first husband and I moved here in 1998. Coming from Sacramento, we expected so much more from the Bay Area when it came to nightlife. Cafes are everywhere in Midtown and downtown there. They're open late. They're hubs for not only coffee, but art, live music, poetry, food, just hanging out once the heat of the day is broken. 25 years later, I'm still here and still disappointed when it comes to Bay Area cafe culture. I'm hoping some comments in today's conversations can point me in the direction of a few good cafes that are open late, serve up more than just good coffee and pastries. With our last couple of minutes of the show, I wanted to round robin. Um, Luke, let's start with you. Single recommendation for a coffee shop that you uh, think people should go to.
4: <laughs> um I'll do two super quick ones um, just because I think coffee shops is a lot about just like where you are, you know, so like in um, Richmond, where I live on Point Richmond, I think Kaleidoscope um, is a great little coffee shop that strikes that sort of balance Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about. Um, And near our work uh, for KQED, like, I I really like um, the Stable Cafe, um, Mm. which I think because it's, like, all outdoor seating, I think it just gives it, like, a real pleasant vibe. Even though there are people working there, it doesn't feel like you're at work. (laughs) That is a beautiful, beautiful backyard. Brianna?
3: Um, Well, the other place that we go um, that has that old feel for me is Hudson Bay Cafe on College Avenue. Um, And then... The place that took over Cafe Roma um on also on College Avenue, but over in Berkeley is called like caffeinated coffee. And that place is just really big with a lot of outlets and tables.
2: That place I think has a real chance at being something
3: there though. I think so too.
2: Don't you think? Like it just it it feels like that spot needed a cafe so desperately. Yeah. And they did
0: it.
3: Yeah. they got um, a cute cat logo. Yeah. They're gonna make it.
2: Uh Henri, recommendation. Not your own place. For sure. Yeah.
9: <laughs> um, yeah. Besides Red Rock, uh, devout coffee over in Niles, uh, sort of in the Fremont area. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, a bit of a pilgrimage to get there. But once you're there, you have such a cute little historic downtown. You have the hills, you have a lot to see and do. And the coffee is so good. The people are so nice. Um, they've been growing rapidly the past, oh gosh, have they would up like a decade. But Everything's good.
2: Devout in Niles. Oh, Mm -hmm. man. That's actually really good to know because I I love that area, actually. It's such a fascinating
6: spot. Um, Creighton, how about you? Of course, I have to say Ken Folks, but um, <laughs> outside of Kinfolks, Folks, um, Haddon Hill Cafe um, is in the East Lake neighborhood of Oakland, and it's just this tiny little storefront. They've got outdoor seating, but it's just a really, really quaint, um, beautiful neighborhood shop with great pastries and great foods. So. I
2: love that spot. Yeah. Here's my here's my deeper cut, Robin's Cafe. It's also right near um, our office. It's actually in the ODC Theater. They make an amazing cappuccino, like amazing. I was just going to – this shout-out for the coffee and also for the place. They have great food and all these things, and I I love that there's still so many places. that We know many have closed, but there are so many spots trying to do it right. Um, We have been talking about Bay Area cafes, our favorites, your favorites, the ones that are gone, the ones that are still here. We've been joined by Luke Tsai, food editor with KQED. Thank you, Luke.
4: Thank you so much. This is fun.
2: This show was inspired by Brianna Lowenson's wonderful comic, Please Don't Forget Me, Cafes We Have Lost. Also, Ephemera, the author of Ephemera, a graphic memoir through the lens of plants. That sounds awesome. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Brianna.
3: Thank you so much. This has been great.
2: We've also been joined by a couple of cafe folks. Creighton Davis, co-founder of Kin Folks in downtown Oakland. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It was wonderful. And Henri Boulanger, Red Rock Coffee. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm Alexis Magical. Thank you for all of your calls and comments. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation,